Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With, conversations with your favourite theatre actors and creatives. Hello, I'm Mikey Worrell. This week's guest is the musical extraordinaire Stephen Aremus, who's become something of a global superpower in the world of musical theatre. As well as having two Tony Awards to his name, he's worked on the biggest shows of the last 20 years, including Wicked, Frozen, The Book of Mormon, Kinky Boots, 9 to 5, Avenue Q. When those shows were in development, he was in that room, so I knew he would have some excellent stories. Stephen and I spoke a few months ago when theatre was in the much earlier stages of reopening than it is today. He was at home in New York, I was at home in London, and thankfully the internet connection under the Atlantic Ocean didn't let us down. He's a man of many job titles, you may have seen him referred to as an orchestrator, an arranger, a music supervisor, or simply a conductor. If you don't know what some of those are, don't worry, he's about to explain. Here's my conversation with Stephen Aremus. I feel like we can't talk about theatre and not address uh, the last year, first of all. How has it been for you since the Broadway shutdown? I mean, just as challenging as everyone. It's been really interesting, you know, because when it all goes away, you know, what's left, right? And, and how do we stay connected? How do we stay creative? How do we, you know, just continue to have a purpose and a, and a, and a, you know, and, and goals in life when, when it's all been stripped away. So uh, it's been, it's been challenging, but, you know, I have a, um, I have a five-year-old daughter. So uh, it's, it, it, it's been kind of amazing, you know, just getting to have this time that I would never, you know, I'm usually traveling all over the planet doing, and I did, I actually did. I actually went down to Australia to put up Frozen. Uh, we were the first show back. Um, and, you know, it was really amazing, but I was away for a, wa- a while and, and it's just been interesting. I mean, I, I think the hardest thing, I was just talking about this the other day with a friend, is um, the loss of the live experience, right? And, and by live experience, I don't just mean an audience. I mean, mm. actually making music together. You know, it's like people are singing into their iPhones and singing to tracks and we're mixing things and everything that we see online is something that has gone through a post-production process, right? Because it has to, because that's the only way we can make music as a group now is, is, you know, by putting these tracks together and then having someone sing to them and then mixing it all. And, you know, and, and it's just, it's not what we're used to. Um, And we do what we have to do, you know, um, but uh, it's, it's uh, it's been an extraordinary time of uh, you know of kind of finding what you know what is what are our priorities what is important to us and um, and and you know who are we <laughs> right <now? laughs> which is which is has been an extraordinary journey so for me personally you know I mean I I I have I've been doing a lot of a lot of self care stuff you know and a lot of you know a lot of meditating a lot of you know, uh, just connecting with people and, um, and, uh, and, and, and it really feels like it's as we get zoom fatigue, you know, from like being in yeah. these zooms and, and just like I, the other day I was like, I got to the end of the day and I was like, why are my eyes so tired? It's like, I've had, because I had the, you know, this, the, the, the screen in my face all day and, 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 and cameras and like another zoom and another zoom. So, um, you know, uh, here we are like on the verge of it all starting up again. Right. And, uh, and it's going to be, a, it's a long haul, you know? And I think that, I think that it, it, everything is different. I mean, everything has changed, you know, so much, you know, we have to think outside the box in so many ways. Um, and we've gotten a lot of wonderful things out of it. Right. We, we, we found other ways to connect, you know, uh, this zoom thing has been like an incredible uh, gift, right? You know, with fam, keeping families and friends together and groups of people. And so anyway, so that, it's a long rambly answer, but, uh, you know, just like everybody else, I have good days and I have bad days, but it's been, um, it's been 
uh, I've been trying to stay sane as best I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been a long rambly year, hasn't it? Let's face it. So they're the good descriptive words. Um, let's talk about all, all the work that you've done. Um, you mentioned Frozen Australia. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But your your job has many titles. You are often described as a musical director, as an arranger, as an orchestrator. They are all obviously covering very different things with, with different minutiae levels of detail. If you were meeting someone on the street for the first time and you had to tell them what your job is, how would you explain it? You know, if I, if I had to really break it down, it's like I like I don't write the shows. I just make them sound pretty, you know. Um, but basically, the jobs are in the many jobs and the slashes of, you know, music director or orchestrator, arranger, music supervisor, all, you know, conductor. Um, all of those things, I'm I'm a part of the creation of these pieces and I'm I'm able to contribute creatively to, if, if you look at it very basically, like the composers write something and then there's another level and then another level and another level until we get the final final thing. And I'm able to put several of those little levels in. I'm part of the, the coloring in process. And so all of the work that I do, I don't, I mean, I don't do shows that I'm just conducting or just, you know, I'm, I'm, I've always, it's always creative work involved. So whether it's vocal arranging, whether it's dance arranging, whether it's, uh, whether it's incidental music arranging, whether it's, you know, uh, orchestration or co-orchestration, you know, it, all of those things. Um, and as a music supervisor, which is now the person that then oversees the entire music department, I kind of, I then become the music supervisor of all of these productions that I've worked on so that I, so that when they're put up, worldwide, I'm overseeing, you know, how that's all happening. I'd like to think that I provide several of the other layers before the final version of what everyone consumes as this, this musical. So for, for people who are listening to this who may not be very musical or may not understand all the different layers that you're talking about, how would you describe the difference between arranging and orchestrating specifically? Arranging has come to, I mean, orchestrating is arranging, right? But, but basically orchestration is writing the parts for the actual orchestra. So, that, so, so, so the players in the pit, what they're playing or whatever they play, they play uh, that is the orchestration. That is the final layer of the cake, right? When we, when we get to the final version of the show. Uh, when I talk about arranging, I'm talking about vocal arranging. So for instance, you know, uh, you know, someone like the, the composers will write something and then I'll blow up, blow it up into harmonies or blow a number up into some, some large thing where, where everyone's singing and all there are counter melodies and, and all this stuff. Sometimes the composers write a basic thing and then I just kind of expand on it. And then there's dance arranging where we work with choreographers and, you know, all of the music that they're dancing to when, whenever they're not singing and they're just dancing, right? That is music that is arranged by someone. And then, you know, when the set's moving and everyone, and we're changing scenes, we call that incidental music, right? Which is like, it, or if a scene is, is, is playing and there's underscoring under the scene, all of that stuff, all of that kind of connective tissue, that's another set of arrangements. So they're all different um, elements and all things that finally, after, after many, many years of the industry, you know, like people are being recognized for the work they're doing. I mean, this stuff was always done and just no one got credited for it <laughs> for all of the old golden age of musicals in the, back in the, in the, in the, in the forties, fifties and sixties, you know? So, so they're, they're just, they're all, they're all different, uh, um, layers of the, you know, of, of the overall, um, musical, uh, kick, if you will. <laughs> I love that analogy. You you mentioned incidental music there, the, the scene change, the transitional music. When when a show is being is being developed for the first time, who who actually comes up with that melody? Is is that you? Take Wicked, for instance. You know the the transitional music that we see there is is that you that came up with the melody, or is that you kind of working on the themes that are already established and then building them into something bigger? Yeah, it's it, you know it's like a film score, right? I mean, you know, we, we have like the songs make up the score of a musical. So we basically, you know, for instance, um, for Wicked, all of the incidental music was done by Alex Lacamoire and myself. You know, we did, you know, and then I did a lot. I did all the vocals, and then he and I did the incidental stuff together, and and we created all of these um, these moments. And there were a lot of things where, you know, we would be in the middle of rehearsal, and the director, you know, and Joe would be like. I, you know, can you please give us some music under here so we can kind of like, kind of really move, move this, you know, like give, give the scene some energy and all this stuff. You know, at the end of the day, don't forget we're in the service of the composer. So nothing gets in the show without 
the composer's approval. So we are taking the themes of, of the show and, uh, and crafting music that, um, that is going to underscore and subliminally underscore. So like there, there's some really, I mean, you know, for the, for the super fans, there's some really deep, deep stuff in like, you know, in the Wicked Witch of the East scene, which is like a little mini operetta, right? It's that, that you know, that moment, you know, from, from, from the moment that Elphaba shows up, you know, with, with her sister to the moment that, you know, Bach runs off as the Tin Man. That whole scene is like, is scored within an inch of its life because every, every single moment is really, really thought out. So like, you know, you know, for instance, she says, finally something good and then the music for something bad is playing under her and like all of these little little things and you know and and yeah of course there are easter eggs and things but but you know we we, we crafted these moments to to kind of create a, a you know a, a a through line and a dramatic and cinematic sweep to to uh, to really aid the drama of the scene and what we ended up creating you know was all based on everything was based on 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 schwartz's original themes you know and then in collaboration with 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 steven you know we 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 sorted out keys and we sorted out ideas or he would say like well what 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 that's a great idea but what what if we use this portion of the melody instead of this and it would lead to the you know and and it's it's a collaboration and um and very very exciting at that you know to to get to give birth to something like that that become so iconic, such an iconic moment. We're just going to take a little break from Stephen for a minute for me to tell you about another podcast that I absolutely love. Everybody skips the song Sentimental Man on the Wicked cast recording. You know it, I know it. I'm willing to wager that even Stephen Schwartz knows it. But keep your thumb away from the skip button on the podcast Sentimental Men. The self-proclaimed wicked aficionados Quincy Brown and Kevin Bianchi are taking you for a deep dive into the musical phenomenon that is Wicked the Musical. Joined by a different performer from the show's history in each episode, the duo has chatted to Stephanie J. Block, Kerry Ellis, Eden Espinosa, and so many more of your musical theatre favourites. Keep up with them on social media at SentMenPod, that's S-E-N-T-M-E-N-P-O-D, and stream their episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. While we're on incidental music, and then and then uh, I'll let you talk about something else. Do yeah. you have um, a, a favourite piece of incidental music that you've either come up with or, or worked on with, with others, be it from Wicked or from any other show? You know, I never really thought about it. That's a really great question. Um, no, I, I don't think, you know, I mean, I guess I would have to say, you know, just like I would like, a, like an answer, like when everyone says like, what's the favorite show you ever worked on? Like, I, I love it all. And I, and I'm proud of all of the work, you know? So um, there's no particularly, you know, uh, there, I can't imagine, I, I, I really can't answer that question because I, I can't pick a, you know, a, a favorite, favorite piece. I think that it's all, cause it's all such unique and interesting work. So specific to the different pieces. Sure. So I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be PC about that one and just, you know, leave that there. Sure. Sure. I suppose if it's all, if it's all good, um, if, if any of it stuck out, there's then like the option for something to stick out as not as good as the rest. So it wouldn't have made. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't have a preference. I mean, like, you know, it's like, yeah, I guess there are moments where it's just like, oh, wasn't it cool that we came up with that? Like, you know, for instance, I'm quite proud of the, um, you know, the whole sequence that from the time Fierro enters you know, the courtyard to, the, you know, to, to the time the girls are sitting on the bed and popular, you know, I mean, all of that was like, was crafted within an inch of its life by all of us, you know, including Jim Abbott, who was a dance arranger and Alex and I and Steven and Steven had written different little pieces. And then we had to st- stitch them all together. And then, you know, and, and then, and then as they staged it, we had to kind of find, you know, go like, oh, we have to get from here to here. And how are we getting from here to here? And, you know, and that was one of the last things we did for Broadway because we had, we had replaced a big number and put a, put, put the dancing through life number in and t- taken out the, we deserve each other song and all of these things. So, um, you know, so there, like, I'm so proud of so much of, of what we created in those moments, because it really was like taking like 15 minutes of, of, of storytelling and like cramming it into, and it's a lot of massive plot points that all have to, have to be done, you know, take all these pieces and stitch it together to, 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 to be this really cohesive um, and, and, uh, and very um, economical bit of storytelling, which, which gets you all of the information, which gets you 
the, the relationship dynamics, which gets you the, you know, the, the ugly hat, which gets you the dance, which gets you the, you know, which gets you the, the whole Bach Nessa thing. And all, I mean, everything had to be like laid out and it's, you know, and it's a testament to the incredible writing and incredible direction um, that we, that we were able to all kind of come together and achieve this, this whole chunk of, 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 of music. So, so the incidental stuff is all of the stuff that kind of pieced it all together. So, you know, Stephen would have like a little, he had, he, he would have like the little, the little Glendon alphabet thing. And then we would have this little, then we needed a little transitional dance moment leading us into that. So that had to be stitched together with that. And then we have to stitch together the next moment and that, you know, at, at, you know, and, and get into the Ostas ballroom and all, you know, and so it just, it just starts to become this incredible collaboration of, um, of people making it work. It's like a giant puzzle, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and while we're on that moment, there's um, the in, the beautiful in- intricacy. I just love um, when it all, when it's all silent and they, the girls start dancing together for the first, I just love that, that underscoring mm-hmm. is just stunning. Um, so I believe Avenue Q was your first Broadway job. Is that correct? It is. So yeah. we know in this business that success doesn't happen overnight. So what had you been doing up until that point and how did Avenue Q come into your life? Well, I had uh, I had worked on a show called The Wild Party mm-hmm. by Andrew Lippa. And that was my first that was my first music direction credit in New York City. And uh, that was my, you know, the Oprah aha moment, you know, of like I found my purpose in life kind of thing. The first music, first new musical I worked on that I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. This is what I should be doing. So it was a group of people that came together that fell in love with each other and created this very remarkable, exciting piece that changed our lives. I mean, there's, there's a whole story about how that happened, but I'm not going to bore you with the details. Okay. Um, I had done the, the national tour, the, the second national tour of Rent. And, uh, the, um, and so uh, the producer of that, who is also the producer of Avenue Q and also the producer of Hamilton and also the producer of In the Heights and a million other things, Jeffrey Seller. Um, Jeffrey uh, liked my work on Rent. And when Andrew Lippa wanted to use me for the off-Broadway production of uh, The Wild Party, uh, the people at Manhattan Theatre Club did not want to hire me because I didn't have any Broadway credits and they, they wanted someone with some Broadway pedigree and all this stuff. And when it came time and Andrew requested me because I had worked with him on a developmental piece of it because of the work that I did on the other show, you know, the, the commercial producers, you know, I mean, Jeffrey was the one who said, well, this is the MD. And, and that was how I got my big break truly, which is extraordinary. And, 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 and I'm very proud that my work got me more work. Right. I mean, for that to be your first big show, that's incredible. And I'll admit, I didn't know that that was, that was your work. I listened to that cast recording weekly like well, I it, love it. it it technically wasn't my work I mean I mean like I, I did a lot of cleanup on it and and I and, and I worked with Andrew to like clean up some of the vocals and I little transitional mu- moments I mean like you know he wouldn't mind me saying like it's like that that, that moment before the key change in life of the party going out of the dance going out of the out of the bridge like that like I, I I put that together and you know little little things here and there and it was just like this moment where we just all came together. That's me playing on the recording. I mean, that's me playing and conducting the show, but it was, it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary um, uh, experience. So uh, through that, I met Steven Schwartz because he was a big, uh, he was a, he, you know, he, he was a mentor to Andrew and uh, Steven came to see some initial workshops we did at the wild party. And, um, and his son was working on tick, tick, boom, which was also being produced by Robin Goodman, who was also at Manhattan theater club at the time. (laughs) So like, it's also incestuous. So, right. So then they asked me because of my rent connection to work on Tick, Tick, Boom. So I arranged and orchestrated Tick, Tick, Boom, which was my first show as an orchestrator and arranger in New York um, off Broadway. Um, And that was when Alex Lacamoire and I became friends because he was doing Bat Boy and I was doing Tick, Tick, Boom and we were both off Broadway. And and I asked him to come uh, help me out as Wicked started to start up, you know, started up. And um, so all of the development of Wicked Avenue Q and even All Shook Up were all happening simultaneously from about 2000 to 2004, right? 2003, you know, uh, you know, those, 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 those several years. Uh, were um, you know I like to I like to talk about that mo- that moment in time as like 
like I would wake up like and free, be freaking out and crying like which job am I going to try to not get fired from today because <laughs> I oh my it was all happening at the same time and like you know everyone's in development I mean I'm being dramatic but it was it was really intense there was so many so many so many things I actually made a note here of the dates because I could I was looking at this earlier and it just looks hectic like avenue q was off broadway march to may 2003 then you went off to san francisco may till june then you were back to open avenue q on broadway in july and then wicked opened in october i mean yeah and, and i would have and, been crying as well yeah it was intense and and then all during that we were doing workshops and and readings of all shook up which made it to broadway in 2005 so it was it was it was wild it was wild it was it was it was really like nonstop. and so truly, um, the director and uh, the producers of Avenue Q um, turned out to be Robin Goodman and uh, and Jeffrey Seller and Kevin McCollum. And so I had worked with Jeffrey and Kevin, and I had worked with Robin, and they, uh, you know, and, and at this point, and then they they were like, we don't know what this is, and they introduced me to Jason Moore, the director, and 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 they gave us give me a cassette recording of all of these 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 songs and. And we all got together and we went up to the O'Neill in Connecticut, the O'Neill Center, which was just magical. And we started to hash out what the, what what that show was and how to present it and how to create it. And it really turned out to be one of the most creative and astounding things I had ever been a part of. And, you know, it started a lifelong collaboration with Bobby Lopez, uh, which has been um, it, just like the greatest gift his friendship and uh and 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 collaboration uh, over the years has been extraordinary and continues to be so yeah so that's that, that's how that started and uh, and avenue q was also alex lacamoire's first broadway credit as copyist he was the he was our copyist what is a copyist he he he, he put the music on the paper you know what i mean like i i oh, scored I it and he like he printed out all the music for the musicians you know, basically. Okay. he talks very proudly about that, but yeah. And so, uh, so then, you know, wicked, I never conducted Avenue Q. I was a music supervisor, orchestrated and arranger. So I did all the orchestrations and arrangements, um, uh, on Avenue Q, uh, Gary Adler did incidental stuff on that, uh, because I was in the, in the thick of it with wicked and then wicked opened and wicked was the first show I conducted on Broadway, which, you know, it was, is crazy. I mean, to have that experience, you know, of, of like a 23 piece orchestra, like in uh, of that scale. And I remember I, it, we were in previews and Jeffrey, Jeffrey Seller, the producer came to see Wicked and he, he walked up to the, to, the, to the pit at the end of the show and he looked at me and he went, where do you go from here? I mean, where do you go? He's like, this is it. This is it. This is like, there's not, there's nothing better than, than this. The man's like, got a point. Congratulations, you know, and, and, and it really was, it was extraordinary. It was an extraordinary, um, you know, thing to be a part of. And then after that, you know, it, you know, the, the worldwide expansion of Wicked and overseeing music departments of all of these shows all over the planet was, you know, that became the other, uh, the next, you know, the next uh, phase of all that. It's like, it's like, don't feed the plants. It's like, don't feed the multiple productions of Wicked. I mean, yeah, it, <laughs> there was, there was, there was at one point where we had nine companies worldwide, you know. That's it, bonkers. Yeah, That's yeah. absolutely bonkers. Mm -hmm. So actually, while we're on things that happened in the same year, when Avenue Q and, and Wicked came over to London in 2006, did you come over to work on both of those and, and open them up here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, truly, it was... I, you know, and that whole thing, and people always say like, what about the Tonys? And that was, it was the weirdest, most horrible and hardest time of my life because I, I was stuck between the two and everyone took, everything took it, so, everyone took it so personally. And it was- Who did you sit with on the night? I, I didn't sit with anyone. I was sitting, I, I wasn't nominated, by the way. I wasn't nominated for, for my work on Avenue Q. And that's the only thing that I would have been nominated for. But I was there to conduct uh, Kristen and Adina um, so that, you know, for during their performance and on a video monitor. Um, so I was there to conduct live, to conduct the track. And then I just sat in the back, you know, and, and, you know, I was so in shock when, when Avenue Q won that I, I literally, I, 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 I it's like, I almost blacked out. And I, my best friend was like punching me in the arm going, go, 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 go like to go up to, you know, and by the time I almost made it up to the stage, like they had started talking and I just kind of collapsed into an empty seat. Like, I can't believe what just happened. You know, it was just, it was like, it was extraordinary. So, you know, long story short, like the experience, you know, that was my first year on Broadway was those two shows. It was just crazy. So it was an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary uh, 
experience and uh, not easy, but um, you know, I love them both so much and I've gotten to um, be a part of both shows all over the planet. And it's been really, really wonderful. There's a couple of things I want to unpack in that. Can we just uh, backtrack to the, when you're talking about the anxiety of waking up and wondering which show you were trying not to get fired from that day, (laughs) when you're, when you're, when you are waking up in the morning and knowing that you are conducting a massive Broadway show for the first time that night, which I'm guessing would have been the first preview, Mm -hmm. how on earth, like, how did you feel? Like, were you absolutely petrified? You know, it's one of those things where, um, I, I always say I kind of built my I built my career on adrenaline. I, I kind of I live for that part of it, that adrenaline. I mean, yeah, there like those the, the especially when we were in, in San Francisco for the first time, you know, then we didn't know what the show was, and the show was changing every day, and you know there were like lists, like you know we weren't even getting rehearsals with musicians, and we were like putting lists of like cut this bar, change this, and I was just hoping that we were going to get through without stopping, which we always did, thank God. But it was, there's something about the live experience and about conducting for me that I love. Like, I love it. And, 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 like, and, and there's something that takes over in my brain and in my body that, that, that like, just, like, I, like, I don't know, but I, I like, it's, it's a thrill to me. So like, you know, fast forward like 10 years later, right. And it was about 2015 and I was conduct, I was the music director for the Oscars um, that year. That was the year that Gaga did the sound of music thing. I I, I arranged that for her. And so we were, I was conducting the Oscars for like 3 billion people, you know, for a billion people or whatever, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, live. Okay. And I'm, and I have like a 65 piece orchestra in front of me. And all of the, and it was just so funny because, you know, we had prepped all this music and I, I had to orchestrate a whole bunch of stuff. And we, I, there was a whole team of orchestrators and they had all these cues and they had, a, you know, they had the music copyists like handing me like giant piles of music and be like, okay, this is the order, let's do it. And, I, you know, and I, I had this whole thing. And one of the, uh, I think it was my concert, the concert master uh, turned to me and she said, she was like, are you okay? Like, this is like huge. Like, it's like, like, it, like it's so intense. And I was like, I get commercial breaks. This is so easy. Like, I got it. I was like, I, I, you know, I have to conduct all this. And then we get to like, we get like three minutes off, like to like, just relax. I, I was like, I'm used to starting a show and the light going off and having to get to the end of the show at, you know, like two hours later. So, it, you know, I feel like my training in theater and my, my experience in live theater was, it was just, you know, it, like it, like it really is unlike anything else, right? You know, the fact that we have to go in front of a live audience and whatever happens, happens. We have to get to, from the start of that show to the end of that show. And it's, you know, it, 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 what, you know, what, there's nothing like it. It's, it's, it's a, it's a freaking thrill. So I, I really felt like that kind of experience was always something that I, you know, I lived for, I lived for it. And I still do. I still love it. You know, I still love that, that um, I just don't get to, to do large, you know, long runs of things anymore. I just, you know, I guess it's like you're the pilot and you have to land the plane in two hours and 50 minutes. No matter what. Yes. No matter what, you know what I mean? I mean, that, that really, that, I mean, that is the, the best example, like, especially with a show like Wicked, which starts so dramatically with the big fanfare and the dragon and all that stuff, you know, it's like, you know, that light, that red light goes off and I give that downbeat and the orchestra goes, boom, you know, like, and, you know, and the dragon's moving and all this stuff. And you're just like, all right, well, we got to get to the end. Like, let, we, we, she's got to fly and then we get a break. You know what I mean? So, so, you know, and nothing stops. And, and re- truly, there are very few breaks in even just for dialogue, you know, that aren't underscored or that aren't, you know, you know that, that you don't have to, you know, so you don't really get time to check out, uh, which is, you know, just, it's the best. It's just the best. So. Can we talk about um, Out of Town, um, Wicked San Francisco, summer 2003? Mm-hmm. And I remember reading about it in Stephen Schwartz's, the biography of Stephen Schwartz, um, it sort of, lays it all out with in Carol's with them book. Every- in Carol's yes book. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 mm-hmm. how was that whole experience from your perspective and can you remember like visually in your head any specific moments from like the first time you conducted a specific moment or or anything like that I mean I have some I have hilarious and crazy stories from that from that, that you know that from that whole 
time. I mean, you know, I learned a lot from every show that I did. Um, and, and, and all, all I'll say is every single show that I have worked on, not one of them has been an easy birth ever. And that's, that's called collaboration. It's called, it, it, it's, it's called theater. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we do. Like we bang our heads together. Sometimes we fight, sometimes we yell at each other. Sometimes we're storming away from each other, but what the, you know, what, what you end up with, if you're lucky is that it's just magic. Right. So I would say, you know, as a first experience, it was, you know, we were all going into that pretty blindly. Like we, you know, all, none of us had done a show that big. None of us had had that experience. Not one person, not even like Wayne, who is like our choreographer, who is a very, very well-seasoned choreographer and dancer on Broadway, you know, for, for decades. And, and Joe, who had directed a million things, but like had never directed a giant musical before. And like, you know, and none of us, you know, um, and no one knew what to expect. Everyone, everyone was doing their job, right? And everyone was, was and, and it's a passionate, thrilling, crazy experience for all. You know, we're there to serve the piece. We're there to serve all the different departments. And frankly, as a music director, slash music supervisor, slash orchestrator, arranger, all of those things, all of my slashes, I'm in service of all of those departments, it's, it's one of the few, like the stage manager and the music director are the two people that are touched by just about every department in the building, right? And so that's a lot to navigate. So it's a lot of it is learning about communication, learning how to delegate, learning how to build, you know, run a department and lear learning how to work with, with all the different, the different people. So the out of town for Wicked was no different and it just happened to be my first ginormous show and after that you know you know everything is is is, is uh, you know a little bit easier after that yeah um my fascination with, with the out of town for wicked is just because so many people talk about that show as, as a real turning point in terms of modern musical theater like people listening to catch recordings and suddenly this is what things sound like and it's this massive sound but it, it also looks massive and it, it's just everything working together in that huge machine so when when you are standing there and you're and you're witnessing it from the pit what is going through your head when you're seeing all of these things happen for the first time? Well, we don't forget when we were out of town, like we were still figuring out what it was. We were still figuring out the storytelling. We were still figuring out the sound of the show. It did not sound like it does on Broadway now in, in San Francisco. We went in and reorchestrated huge chunks of it. And we ended up, you know, like bringing a whole different sound into the orchestration that Bill Brown then went back and reorchestrated on top of the stuff that Alex and I did. And it was, you know, it was really, uh, it was really complex. So um, it was a huge high, right? It was a huge, huge high to be in front of that orchestra, but it was also a giant blur. Like, I don't, like I, I you know, and, and back then, you know, I was, a, I, you know, I was a kid and I was, I was chain smoking. And I was like, I was, I was like, I was so freaked out that, I, you know, like about, about so, you know, just about trying to hold it all together. And then, you know, and this thing takes over where you just like, you know, it's like you go out there and you do it and you sort it all out. And, and then you're, you're dealing with all of the different changes. And, and then we made massive changes. Like the stuff that I was outlining before all happened after San Francisco. So we had huge stuff and like that all happened in a tiny amount of time. Right. And there were, there were like three months and then we went right back into rehearsals. So, you know, I, I, I mean, to me, it's all the same. They're all the same, all the shows. It's, and the challenge is the same. We have to, to get to the end point of creating something new that is going to, that people are going to see as something, you know, no one knew it was gonna, it was gonna become this iconic thing that, that's gonna blow people's minds, right? You know, even after we opened on Broadway, go check that New York Times review out. It was not good. You know, I mean, we got a lot of really bad reviews still, you know, it really doesn't matter. It connected with people in a way that, you know, like unlike anything I've seen before. So, and that's the, that, that, that's, that's why we do it. Right. I mean, that's so, so I think that every single show that I worked on uh, has, has, has been, you know, has had those incredibly difficult growing pains up through the birth of the, of the show. And then, you know, and then they've had these incredible experiences in some way attached to them for me personally. 
So many of these hugely successful productions that you've been part of, Wicked Avenue Q, 9 to 5, Book of Mormon, Kinky Boots, some of them have come to have, you know, some the road to Broadway for some of them was a little bit different. Uh, Book of Mormon opened cold after workshops. Avenue Q started off Broadway. Do you have a preference of sort of where to start from and, and the journey to Broadway? Or, or do you like that it's not always the same? Yeah, I, I think it depends on the piece, truly. You know, Book of Mormon was uh was really that was a huge gamble right i mean to 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 go from a workshop right into right you know like that that just doesn't happen anymore but the element of surprise was so huge with that show because no one knew what it was and it really was like once it was going to be out there you know it was kind of like well what do we gain you know and how much how how far can we get it and we got it to a point that was like okay we can you know we can do it Let's try it, you know. With other things, I mean, it really is important to get it in front of an audience and get it, you know, and 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 see how how that audience reacts to it and see what it needs and see how how we can make it better and better and better until it you know, until it, it comes to Broadway. So, I think that the the out of town and regional route is always great. I've got a couple of shows that are going to be, um, you know, doing that in the in the in the coming year or two. Uh, you know, that that are going to do you know out of town regionally and and you know and 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 kind of and then you build it and you see it for the first time and then you just make it better and better and better, as we did with Wicked. Although these will be a lot smaller, <laughs> everything's a lot smaller than Wicked now. Um, but um, so yeah, so I, I again, I, I think it, it really truly does depend on the depend on the piece. I mean, we went out of time with Nine to Five as well. We were out in, in Los Angeles, and then uh, uh, you know regarding uh, and All Shook Up was out of town. Uh, all the shows I worked on had a, had a production prior, other than uh, than than uh, Book of Mormon. Book of Mormon is its own special thing. I guess it's 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 having that element of surprise. You don't want to waste it on out of town because then you've kind of had the headlines already. Yeah, that one was very specific because of the content, right? Because because like as soon as you know, like you know, you know they they were really smart about how they even when it once it launched, like you'll notice the way it's marketed. Like there are no moving images of the piece. There's no it's you know either those jumping Mormons or or quotes of the show and like nothing you have to go in and experience it. Um, it's a very conscious uh, effort. And I think it's quite brilliant how they, how, how, and 10 years later, here we are, you know, but, um, but it's, it really is, uh, it was very specific to that show uh, with everything else. It, it, it's, it, it's the only way to do it. Right. It's like it, when we develop shows from page to stage, you have to have developmental benchmarks. Right. So it starts, you know, like Wicked started with like me at a piano with like 10 actors, right? You know, doing like a three hour version of act one in 2000. So that was 21 years ago. And then, and then we, you know, and then, and then it eventually got to like, you know, a, like a larger reading, which, you know, which did, you know, with, with several people and then like, and then one that was a little bit more stage. And then we got to like, a, and then we got to the, the, you know, the production phase and, you know, and then, and then, and then, and then it all goes really, really fast as soon as you get to that first production. And then, it, and then, and then, and then it, it's like turbocharged as far as these musicals go, because then everything costs money, you know, from that point forward. So when you are then replicating a show, when you're you're opening it up in in Melbourne or London or LA, is it is it easier second time round because you've already done it once? You know what I would say is you know uh, you know don't forget now I I still as as a music supervisor like my job doesn't end right every year I go and work with the London Company of Wicked or the London Company of Book of Mormon or you know you know and and or when Kinky was over there and all that so every single uh, every single production, I, you know, I'm in charge of making sure that they are maintaining our work the way we intended it. And, um, and so, so it, it what, I think the thing that I've loved about it, cause people say all the time, like, Oh God, I like, like, you're still working on that show. Like what must that be like? And my answer is it's fantastic because I, I get to find new ways to say, things and I, I get to find new ways to explain why we did what we did and how we did what we did and give and give the performers the inspiration 
to not just be, oh, I have to walk here, sing this note and walk off the stage. You know, it's their job to make, make to inhabit the world in a vivid, thrilling way and bring what they have to the, to the piece, right? And the only way they can do that is to be given that permission by the creatives. And it's my, you know, it's, it's, it's my hope that, you know, that, that, that when I do work with, with people on the replica productions, it gives them that kind of permission and, and it gives them that, uh, that it empowers them to, to really take ownership of, of, of their role in the piece. Vocal arrangements aside, when you are moving a production around or you've got a new production of a show that you might have done 5, 10, 15 years ago, how much do you play with the orchestration in different places around the world? Um, it, usually the orchestration is based on, I mean, that, that, that's a producer and a monetary issue, right? So generally the, the versions that get done in other markets are generally the tour version, which is the, the, the US tour version, which is the smaller, uh, a slightly smaller orchestration generally. So it's not, it's not, a, it's not a super creative thing. It's purely like a line item. How much are we going to pay? How much is it going to cost to put up this production? And that's, and that's, so by the time it gets to London, it's, it's rarely the size of the Broadway orchestra. It's usually a little smaller because London is a larger, uh, is a, is a larger, uh, uh, market. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can we, can we talk a little bit about nine to five? Um, I, I really felt, and I know many others did too, that that show really didn't get the life it deserved on Broadway, Mm. uh, back in 2009. You were working with some huge powerhouses and, and characters there in Stephanie J. Block, Megan Hilty, Alice and Channy. How do you look back on that whole collaboration? Oh, I mean, we're all still super close. I mean, I just had a I just had a big birthday and uh, my husband had a had a, a, a video made, a, you know, a film made of like all these people wishing me happy birthday. And it started with Janny and like Megan was in there and her husband, Stephanie and her husband, Dolly was on there. Like it was just it's great. It was just insane. So, um, you know, yeah, I mean, we you don't forget Megan Hilty, you know, we hired her as as Jennifer Laura Thompson mm-hmm. on Broadway. You know, she was right out of college. Um, so that's how far back we go. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I love those women and they're, they're, they're still extremely dear to me. And, um, and I've, I'm, I'm lucky to have gotten to collaborate with them. They were extraordinary and we had so much fun. I mean, that show was, was challenging and really, again, a, not an easy birth, but, um, but just such, a, such a blast. That, that score in particular, I mean, what was it like when you went into that room for the first time with Dolly as opposed to working with someone who's a seasoned theatre composer like Stephen Schwartz? Um, it was great. I mean, you know, it, it really was about building uh, my relationship and, my, and, and, you know, and, and, and building some trust so that she felt like, you know, like she trusted me to kind of do my thing with the music. And, you know, she, she always said, she's like, you go ahead and I'm, I'm, I'm going to have an opinion you know, I'd be like, great, tell me, give me your opinion, you know? And so, uh, so it was, so, so we really, uh, we had some really, um, incredible times and, uh, you know, the, she's, she's an extraordinary songwriter and, and, you know, like I have all these incredible Dolly stories, as you can imagine, but like, I'll never forget, like Joe had asked us for, uh, this reprise at the top of act two for, at this one point for, for the three women, this one song and 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 I went to Dolly and I said, you know, so Dolly, we, we're, we're going to do this little reprise and we just need a couple of lines for each of them. And it's this section of the song and um, it just has to kind of suit this moment. And this is what it needs to say. And this is the idea. I said, so take your time, you know, let me know, you know, if you want to get it to me in a couple of days. And she went, tell you what, I'm going to go pee. And when I come back, I'll um, I'll have a few options for you. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And she, and now when Dolly goes to, you know, to the restroom, like, it's like, it's like a half hour affair, you know, because she's, oh, okay, sure. she's fixing herself up and everything. So she goes off and she came back with a giant piece of paper towel with, <laughs> with three options for the lines, three different options. She's like, so they can sing this, 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 or, and she says it just like that. Or this, 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 or this, this, this. So you got you all pick what you like, and you know, and let me know. 
and you know, and, and it's that's just like, that's, that's just the way she, she works. She, it's just like, it, it's, it's, it was constant. Plus she made us fudge every, every, every week from her, um, from her kitchen. She made us um, chocolate and peanut butter fudge. Of course she did. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about Book of Mormon? Um, mm-hmm. That show gave you your first Tony Award. So, I mean, you talked about The Wicked and Avenue Q, Tony Knight kind of being a really overwhelming experience. Did you feel like you could be more present when you were nominated? I, I, I mean, it was, it was, yeah, I, I could. I mean, it was, it was thrilling to be there with that show at that time because it was such a, you know, everyone was so excited about uh, about the piece, and I was so proud of the work. I was so proud of uh, of the work that Larry and I did on uh, on bringing that score to life, and I will never forget that night. It was just an extraordinary um, evening. So yes, I was much more present, and I was very happy to be there, <laughs> and very happy to you know win a trophy for it. It's crazy. Of course, is it much scarier to go up on your own when I mean when you've won in your own right than when you're going up as part of a, a bigger team? Larry and I had had a really unique collaboration on Book of Mormon. I did like the nighttime shift and he did the daytime shift because I was in rehearsals all day. And then we would put, put it all together and then he would, we would, we would talk it through and figure stuff out. And, and it was, uh, it was really a, a really cool way to do it, which is just so weird, right? It's just like, you know, and, and neither of us were precious about anything. He would write something and be like, well, if you want to change it, like go for it. And I would do the same and I'd be like, please take this. And like, this is the idea. And like, just go with that. I'm, I, I've got to, you know, go figure out this new section. So, um, so it was, it was really, really wonderful. And I, and he's such an extraordinary orchestrator. I mean, like I, you know, I, like he's just one of the, one of the greats. Um, and it was truly a, a, an incredible learning experience for me too, because, uh, because the, the, the collaboration, you know, taught me so much about um, so many uh, things in, um, you know, uh, about about orchestration um and then get you know going up there for kinky boots it was cool to have that experience second because then i got to be like right i i did this on my own i mean with you know an incredible team but like i you know it was it was thrilling to have that to have that confident and exciting experience when kinky boots came along um in your speech if i if i remember correctly you 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 referenced the fact that it might you took a bit of persuading to uh, to take the job. Is that right? Uh, well, I don't know about that. I mean, they they just sent me to Cindy Lauper's apartment, yeah, because no one knew what was going on. And then we started collaborating like that day. Like she, you know, she I sat at the piano. And we started working on a song together, and it was just like this crazy. And and I it was like, I guess I'm working on the show now. And again, it's a a long winding road for all of these shows. Um, but no, it really wasn't persuading. It was really kind of exciting, you know, because I had known Jerry and Harvey for a lot of years and I hadn't ever worked with them and to, you know, for, to get f- for all of us to do it. And the way Cindy tells it, which I love is she, you know, she talks about, you know, Jerry, me and Harvey as her scarecrow, tin man and cowardly lion, you know what I mean? Brilliant. So, um, you know, like kind of taking her to Oz. So it was really, it was really because we had made musicals before and she had never, so it was really exciting. I'm guessing you had already started working on Frozen by the time Kinky Boots was, was happening or had Kinky, was Kinky Boots, were you further down the road with Kinky Boots when, when you got the call for Frozen? No, we had already been doing the movie of Frozen, you know, at that point. Okay. So did, did Bobby ask for you? Is that what happened? For, for Frozen? Yeah, for Frozen. Um, yeah, they were like, we're working on this Disney movie. And um, Frozen was several years in development. And I did a lot of, um, as they started to develop it, I started doing, I helped them with some demos and uh, some demos that, that uh, and I orchestrated some demos and did some, and, and I did some, and, and some vocals, obviously some vocal arrangements. I did the trolls number and all that stuff, the harmonies and stuff. And so, uh, you know, I helped them develop uh, some of those demos and then eventually those started to get, you know, get blown up and changed and, 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 and different, different orchestrators were brought in and then finally landed at Dave Metzger as, as the orchestrator for the, for, the, for the film. And because of my involvement, they were like, well, you got to come conduct the songs. So I, uh, I was like, oh my gosh, sure. Like 90 piece orchestra? Yes, please. You don't have to ask me twice. Uh, and what's extraordinary is, and then I, on that, on that film, it was really cool because I had, I also like, that's me playing the piano on, do you want to build a snowman? 
because they liked the way I played it and they, and, and, and we, they had done a pass and, and they asked me to lay down a, a track and they ended up using my piano track for the, for the, for the, for the, for the song. Um, so it was really exciting to uh, get to play on it too. Something so iconic, you know, that song. When you went back for Frozen 2, did it feel different because there was a lot more pressure that time around because of Frozen? Whereas the first time around, I guess, no one really knew what was what was coming. So you could kind of work away without that pressure of, of having to follow Let It Go and all of those big hits. Maybe for the composers, but not for certainly not for those of us that were just, uh, you know, uh, working with them. I mean, Bobby and Kristen were, are, are such extraordinary writers that when we when I heard that the material for Frozen 2 and 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 Frozen 2 went through a similar pro- process right like so there were there were things that were like you know that that we recorded and you know in different parts of the score that ended up not getting put into the movie and but uh everything that they were writing was so exciting and fun and and you know and and when we went to the studio you know for for even the some of the some of the ensemble vocals even some of that stuff got changed and 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 you know like the show yourself stuff became just the woman women's choir so i rewrote it for the women's choir with them and but we had recorded it as this giant this other giant thing and the song was it had changed shape so many times i'm sure you saw the documentary but yeah, yeah, yeah. it shaped so many times um that uh you know it, it's just like just like theater it, it goes through a whole process like what the way they developed the, the Disney films is, you know, like they're, 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 they do screenings of all these different early versions and they just keep cutting it together until they get it right. And then they just and then they go, OK, this is let's finish it up. So in the, the documentary that you mentioned, if people haven't seen it on Disney Plus, I, I just loved when we got to see the full recording when you're conducting for uh, Into the Unknown and for Show Yourself. I just they were like the two standout moments of the whole series for me. I just absolutely loved it. But in the documentary, we when you're recording those, we hear Adina's vocal over the top. But I'm guess did they put that in for the documentary? Because I think I've seen a YouTube version where it's where there's no vocal line over the over the recording of the orchestra. I mean, they heard it. In, you heard it in the in the booth, and I heard it in my yeah. ears. All of the vocals were done by them, right? So the vocals were all pre were all recorded before the final orchestra pass is uh, you know happens. I mean, look, and not to burst anyone's bubble, but the way they lay that out is not the timeline of how all of that stuff happens, right? The orchestration is one of the last things that gets done for the entire film, right? The final orchestration. So in terms of the most significant moments of, I mean, what are 20 years you've had, my, my God. <laughs> when you look back at all of that stuff like you must have done over the last year, what moments stick out of your in your head, like the Oscars or conducting this 95-piece orchestra in, the, in LA for the recording? Are there any particular moments that you sit there when you're just looking out the window and go, oh my God, I did that? Yeah, I mean, all of, I mean, all of it, truly, Mikey, all of it. I mean, you know, it's like every single, every single experience has been so unique and so extraordinary, right? Like even the non-theater stuff and working with Rufus Wainwright and doing all that, that we, when we did that whole thing at, the, at Covent Garden at the Royal Opera House and we did like a whole week of, of shows and uh, like all of this stuff, like I've been so lucky to make, make music with so many fantastic, brilliant artists that inspire me. And, um, and I love that it's that I get to do so many different types of things. Right. So, you know, yeah, the Oscars was definitely up there as like, like who gets to do that very, you know I mean? Like, that's just crazy. The fact that I, that I had that opportunity and to work with all those people live, but I'll tell you a really sweet story. And like, all of these moments are attached to really, you know, a whole period of my life. And, and the, the, the second year that I did the Oscars with, uh, with Gaga, uh, I, I came back to conduct uh, Till It Happened to You, which was a song that, that she got nominated for in 2016 for, the, for an Oscar uh, that she and Diane Warren wrote. And I, and I had done the string arrangement and had recorded the strings for it. So she called me and asked me to come in and, and, and do and, and reorchestrate for the full orchestra and, and, and conduct it for her on the, on, on the broadcast. And so I did, and it was just this incredible moment because the year before I had done the full show, right? And so I knew the whole orchestra and I'd met them all before and I worked with them and I loved the experience. And it was just like, so I, I left on such a high and, and my, I was, my daughter was about to be born and I, I did a, and, and, and they knew, like, like uh, I knew a bunch of the 
people in the orchestra and, and one of the copyists and, or, or the copyists and all these people. And, and uh, I, I, we did the dress rhearsal in the theater for, uh, for Gaga's performance. And, uh, and, you know, the orchestra played and all this stuff happened. And I walked down off the podium and the orchestra of the, the Oscars orchestra that year handed me a, a hardcover book of uh, The Giving Tree, which is this really sweet book, um, children's book um, by Shel Silverstein that uh, they all signed to my unborn daughter that was about to be born, like, you know, three months later. And it's like, it's, we still have it. It's like so extraordinary. And like, I was explaining, I was telling her that story. She's five now. And I was telling her that story because I was reading it to her for like one night before bed. And I said, all these these people, they, they're all these, these musicians that played in, in the orchestra that daddy conducted. And, you know, it's just like, wow, like, like who gets to say things like that? Like, it's just crazy. You know, it's like who, 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 like whose, whose kid is born and, you know, and gets like a gift from Dolly Parton sent to them. Like, you know, it's like she, she has, she has no idea like the, 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 the crazy world that she's, she's, she's born, been born into. Um, and it's, it's extraordinary. And, uh, and if it all, and, you know, it's like, I think this, this pandemic did something to all of us where like, you just realize like, well, if it all ends tomorrow, cause it just did, Right. Like, you know, what do you have? And what I have is like an extraordinary and rich life, um, uh, you know, and, and, and some incredible experiences to look back on where I got to make an extraordinary amount of, of music with an extraordinary group of collaborators that, you know, for, to, to, to this day, I can't even believe I'm here, <laughs> you know, so. There, we, there you have it. I mean, that's. But, but what I love about all of that is that there are all these big projects, Frozen, 9 to 5, Book of Mormon, Kinky Boots, Wicked, Avenue Q, like all these hugely recognizable things. And you're the common thread between them all. And I just think that's amazing. Oh, well, that, that's sweet. Listen, I mean, you know, I like what, what's, what's wild is that, that, that like they're, they're all so varied and different and in their own ways. And um, someone said to me, like, it was really funny. Like someone auditioned for, for me for, for some show and I forget what it was, or, or maybe it was a class that I was, that I was, uh, that, that I was uh, doing a master class for. And someone sang something from, I think maybe Tick, Tick, Boom. And I said, oh my gosh, it was so great hearing that song. And, and the person, and, and, you know, he didn't mean to be rude, but I, I, I just laughed because he said, he said, yes, I'm a big fan of your early work. And I was like, oh my God, I have early work. I'm so old. <laughs> I was like, holy cow. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, like it's, you know, look, we're, as artists in the theater, getting the opportunity to do even the film and TV stuff, like it's just, it, it, to me, it's just, it's making music wherever I can and having the opportunity and getting, still continuing to get those opportunities is great. And who knows, you know, I mean, I, I, I hope to do a lot more of it and there's a lot of stuff coming up and a lot of like little things here and there and and a lot of shows in development and and and, and movie and tv stuff so who knows wh how wh where it's all going to go from here it's it's been an extraordinary I, I never really thought about it like as two decades but it it is now so thanks for that sorry i didn't mean to hate you <laughs> no but it's way. true it's so true you know listen we're you know we're, we're so lucky to have such extraordinary collaborations with su such otherworldly talent in my life and I'm really, really happy that I've gotten to take it this far, you know, have these opportunities. Well, here's so many more. And thank you so much for, for sharing your time with me. The, I guess, hopefully we'll see you in London soon for, for Frozen in the summer. Yes, I'll be, I'll be over in London for sure. Um, and the other, the other shows will be opening back up at some point as well. So I'll, I'll, I'll definitely, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to travel again. I can't wait to see people that are not my family. <laughs> you know, uh, live, live, you know. Will you be conducting Frozen over here? Because Drury Lane is like one of our best theatres. So that's like an orchestra pit you need to be in, right? Yeah, no, I, I can't. You know, I, I won't be conducting it, but uh, but I will be there. Um, you know, I, I, I will, I'll be there for some, for the rehearsals and I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll do a little bit. It, it's, you know, I, I it's funny because I've I, I often thought that of like, you know, with the shows that I've had in London, I'm, even with Wicked, I'd be like, Maybe I'll just conduct one night. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> like, you know, but, um, but, but. Would no, you I, be able to just walk in and, and just do it? Do you think? The one show? Yes. Wicked is the one. Wicked is the one. Like, that's what I do even on Broadway when I come back. And I haven't done it in a number of years, but I, I literally, tomorrow, if the show was running right now, I could pick up a baton without looking at a score and conduct the entire show. Like, my body would just know what to do.
It's just because it's just part of me. You know, it's been so many years. That is the one show, everything else. And it's also the show that I conducted the longest, don't forget, because I conducted the first couple of years on Broadway and then came back for a little while. And, and then I was setting it up all over the world. So uh, it, it is something that I, that, that's pretty second nature to me. I mean, what a great skill to have. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing your time. Like I said, my pleasure. This has been really fun. So thanks for that. I just think what he does is so cool. Like imagine having that much knowledge about music and he is literally the man who created the Dust ballroom sequence that we all know and love. It blows my mind. So I'm really glad uh, that I got to ask him about it. And his name is one that you will always see in programs. And actually, if you didn't know that much about Stephen before you listened to this episode, I bet you will start seeing his name everywhere and going, oh my God, how did I not know who this man is? Well, now you do. Well, that's it for this week. Next time on the podcast, I'll be joined by Christina Bianco, who next year will be starring in a tour of the rise and fall of Little Voice. She, of course, was in Funny Girl in Paris just before lockdown, but thankfully they managed to actually finish their run. In the meantime, if you could go and leave a rating and a review on the Backstage with Apple Podcasts page, I would be very grateful because it really does help more people find it, especially when there are loads of theatre podcasts nowadays, absolutely loads of them. So if you've got a second, that'd be great. Thanks so much. And that's it. I'll see you for the next one. Thank you.